Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. Today, in anticipation of the American remake of Ghost in the Shell, starring Scarlett Johansson, we're going to be talking about the original Japanese 1995 anime classic before pitching our own ideas for sequels to that film. We also talk at length about the controversy of the casting of Johansson in the live-action remake and have a wider discussion about the issue of whitewashing. As such, we're prefacing this episode by saying, you know, we're on this show where two white English guys and half Mexican, we're primarily lefty, liberal, city-living folks, so we're totally aware that some of what we say may be perceived as coming from a point of ignorance about specific cultures, but we certainly don't mean any offence with our discussion. As such, we hope you can enjoy this episode, but if you disagree with any of our the points we bring up, feel free to troll us on Facebook and or Twitter. We're not above using a controversial rousing excuse to gain more exposure. The following podcast contains spoilers for Ghost in the Shell, The Matrix, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Total Recall, iRobot, Bicentennial Man, The Manchurian Candidate, Death Note, Frogs, Deep Blue Sea, and The Brave Little Toaster. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to another Diminishing Returns. Last week we did Power Rangers, they're sort of almost robot men people, and now we're doing some more of that kind of thing with uh, Ghost in the Shell, which is more legitimately robot-y because they're like cyborgs and shit and Japanese, or at least they were. Uh, So I'm Sol, (laughs) and with me are uh, (laughs) uh, Calvin. Hello. And... Alan. Hello. So, uh, should we, before we get into the film itself, should we talk a little bit about where we stand with just anime in general and sort of how we approach mm. it as a genre, if any of us are fans of it? Okay, well, basically, I I have a long, difficult relationship with anime. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love animation. I love animated films. Uh, when I started getting into cinema on a on a real level when I was younger, uh, animation was one of the the areas I really dug into, you know, very deeply, very quickly. Just because it's, I suppose, it, it's generally a lot easier and and lighter than you know westerns or whatever. I ended up finding a fair bit of anime um, ahead of other serious films and what have you. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I just I'd watch the likes of Akira and uh, Studio Ghibli's work, and I hate it. <laughs> um, and for the longest time, I thought, "Oh, I must just hate anime, and it must just like not do it for me." And I think part of what I hate with it is the animation itself, because the the animation in anime is so frequently just fucking awful. Like the the drawings themselves can be great, but like in terms of the frame rate and how things actually move move, like you can see more often than not, you can see every individual drawing if you kind of pay attention. It, it's also jittery and just just 
crap and oh, just I, 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 I really don't think any of that applies to this film that we're talking oh, about oh it does uh, what are you talking about there's some of the most fluid beautiful lifelike animation I think I've you, ever you seen you can stop and you can watch each individual you can see each individual frame like individually before your eyes I was looking out for it like, in it, it some just, sequences, but not in others. Well, like, what, my what God, anime it, frequently does is they will put all of their time and effort into an important action sequence and make that a higher frame rate, and then they'll like cut corners everywhere else, so they'll become even lower. But I, I just find it so jarring. And I know <clears> people <throat> always say, well, they don't have the same budget as American and Western animation, they're, they're working off no money, but... You look at you know some some low budget animation. Look at the the guy who makes um, the um what's it called um, Le, Le Damsels of what the fuck's that film called? <laughs> the Triplets of Belleville, Belleville and The Illusionist. Yeah, Belleville Rendezvous and The Illusionist and films like that. They're they're not big budget films, but they are beautiful, like utterly breathtakingly gorgeously animated. Regardless of what you think of the the plot and the story and everything. I obviously do have the capacity to like the the genre, but so much of what I've seen in the genre just, like I say, leaves me cold. And Ghost in the Shell, it's one of the entries I'm more at peace with than others, but there's stuff like Akira, which is regarded as, you know, one of the greatest films of all time, and I, I just think it's a load of shit. I really do. I hate it. Uh, so that's me. Um, how about you guys? I, I think uh, I, I think my introduction to anime was probably the Pokemon TV series oh! back in the day. Like I know that I uh... always forget <laughs> that Pokemon is anime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that probably. I mean, that was my introduction to it. And I think since then, I've seen certainly most of the big anime films, like most of the Studio Ghibli films. And can I ask, what's what's the? Is there a strict definition of anime, or does it literally just mean animation from Japan? Yeah, I, I or think is there's the some sort of stylistic definition, de- reference. The, the the strictest definition is yeah, Japanese animation. I think, but there there are tropes and things that sort of define it. Um, yeah, but, but, but I've seen from Japan. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I've seen anime that wouldn't typically come under the banner of anime because it doesn't adhere to those tropes quite as strongly, and I've seen Western mm. animation that emulates those tropes so strongly that you could make a good case for it being uh, anime. Well, I I um funny you should say that about emulating things because when I was watching Ghost in the Shell, I was. There were a couple of little moments that, and I can't even place it, but somewhere unconsciously I was taken to like watching cartoons on a Saturday morning in mm. my childhood, which must have, you know, mm. like probably was late 90s after that. And I don't, I can't place it, but maybe, I don't know, like Batman or X-Men or something that, mm. it, the just the, the style, the visual style of it, it was an action sequence yeah. and it was like, so there was definitely um, influence there, isn't there? Oh, totally. Yeah. The reason why I brought up Pokemon earlier on is, and actually, so this may, maybe it could have applied to you as well, is that all your complaints about the process, like the frame rate mm. and uh, the, the the actual animation style, I don't know if it's just because I grew up watching Pokemon, so it doesn't bother me mm. at all. I just take it as a different style, so I'm fine with them holding on one mm. you know, static image for 
a couple of minutes or something while they do a lot of that <laughs> unlike you two are really big into animation and are students of the craft i'm not really um i can appreciate it same as anything else but it's not something i know a lot about in terms of the technical of it so when you're saying you're comparing different types it's i'm coming at it very much as a layman and so it's just like mm. oh this looks good this doesn't look good kind of thing and because of that, I can kind of go with it. Like, this is a different style, so just, mm. you know, go with the flow. So on that, in that sense, anime doesn't bother me in terms of visual sense, but also doesn't add anything for me. It comes down to the story. And I think, perhaps with anime, there's just too much of a culture clash there that mm. the kind of Japanese storytelling, uh, uh, the Japanese, Japanese narrative styles are so different to ours that yeah. it doesn't sit that well. Um, but does that apply to the film that we're talking about today, Ghost in the Shell? Because so much of this mm. film has influenced films in the West, like The Matrix being the obvious one, that all these themes and a lot of these narrative twists just seem like now, watching it as I did a few days ago, just seem like, oh yeah, this doesn't seem out of the ordinary at all. I can't deny the cultural influence it had at all. Like, yeah, obviously oh, yeah. it had loads of brilliant ideas. But to be honest... Um, and I, I watched this film a long time ago, and I didn't really like it, and I forced myself to re-watch it for the sake of having it fresh in my mind for this podcast. And I, I yeah, I felt exactly the same as when I was younger, really. Um, it, it The closest comparison I can think of is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, there's some great ideas in there, some lovely visuals dotted around, but, like, I don't need to just sit on a shop for five years, like waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah, I just, I just found it so boring. Well, I think that for all our talk of story being important, A Ghost in the Shell is really not a film about story. Mm. It's about themes, and mm-hmm. I think should we should we just sum up the plot quickly for um, people yes. who might have seen the film a long time ago and maybe not remember it. Um, But basically, the main character of Ghost in the Shell is Motoko Kusanagi, who is almost entirely cyborg. At one point, they drop a line that, except for, was it a few, like, brain strands or something? She is completely a synthetic um, creature. She looks like a human, but basically, this is a future where bits of most people are partly cyborg. You've got people with arms or legs or whatever, but generally, there is always something human there somewhere, be it a body part or a brain or eyes, whatever. Um, but the main character, Matoko, is unique in that she is almost entirely entirely cyborg. And the ghost that the title refers to is the soul inside the body, which is the shell, um, the physical body. And um, Matoko basically goes through a lot of sort of philosophical discussions and whatnot with her partner. She's... Uh, so she's in the special forces. They do, you know, the missions and whatnot, the corruption, all that sort of thing. And basically, at some point, a uh, they're they're chasing this what they call the puppet master, who has infiltrated all of these terminals around the city, um, and is presumably hacking into people and changing their memories and whatnot. Uh, and that that consciousness inhabits. Uh, a broken cyborg, which is stolen by another branch of special forces in this city, and Motoko feels some kind of a bond with this puppet master, and she basically chases him down, and has a bit of a tete-a-tete with him about existence and what it is to be 
truly human. Her whole quandary throughout the film is that she doesn't feel like she's human. And what what is the difference between being human and just being a sentient creation? She 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 talks about like how she can't reproduce. Uh, the puppet master rather talks about how you know. As a robot, you can't reproduce. And she says, well, yeah, but you can copy. And he says, well, yeah, but you can... A copy is just an inferior version of the original. That's not true reproduction. And that's what it truly means to be human. Um, there was just a lot of philosophical talks like that. And at the end, still a lot of stuff gets blown up. And uh, Matoko ends up being saved by her partner. And her consciousness is now merged with the Puppet Master... And the two of them are now some kind of super consciousness, uh, and they don't seem to care anymore about what the difference is between human and cyborg, because to be conscious is to just be, you know, to th- you know, if you, you, you think, therefore you are, mm-hmm. I think is the conclusion. Well, I mean, there you go. I mean, that was the simplified version. Yeah, um, that was. I was really trying. <laughs> I was really trying. No, and I'm no, not no, sure if any of it makes sense. That's a good. Uh, that's a good condensation of the. That's not the right word. That's a good distillation of the, of the, the plot. It's just, uh... And I might, I might have completely misinterpreted some of the philosophical points. Um, I, I mean, I, no, I watched I the film for the first really. time for the purpose of this review, and I watched it. So it's quite short actually. It's only about eighty minutes long. And after I finished watching it, I was like, "Ha!" Huh. I was kind of mesmerized by it, and I kind of love it, but I don't know if I really get it. And so I had to go and watch about two and a half hours worth of YouTube videos of anime nerds who are more in the know than me explaining the thing, and then I think I got it. I don't know if I entirely got it, but that's just because I I really struggle to like not just zone out, if you know what I mean. They're all very straightforward concepts that I, I I've you know, dealt with in other films I have no problem with, but it's just, I I don't know, I just, I feel like I have ADHD when I watch this film, I just cannot (laughs) focus on it, and there's just something I mean, I will, I will straight up say that I didn't get it, and it was and I kind of, like like Calvin said that, it's not really about narrative it's more about themes, Uh, and mm. the themes were there, you know, it was like kind of identity crisis, what what defines humanity what defines personality what is the soul like what is the what is the spark of life kind of thing and so those Mm. kind of ideas were there and it was kind of raised some interesting questions i don't know if it attempted to give any answers it certainly didn't Mm. get anywhere with it and i I don't feel like it was a very deep exploration of it it feels like a very shallow exploration of those ideas within a kind of nonsense action plot that didn't make sense and was really hard to follow and distracting I disagree there completely. When I've seen, I've seen like these themes explored in plenty of other movies. Like now, it's like you know, God, Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams or I Robot with Will Smith. Or there are so many of these. Like, what is ro? You know, when yeah. is a robot a human and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I, I actually thought this one was the most nuanced and uh, well. Should, should we should we quickly point out that I Robot was based on a uh, short story written by Isaac Asimov way before Ghost in the Shell. Oh no, I wasn't saying. Oh yeah, no, I certainly, was- I certainly wasn't saying that Ghost in the Shell originated those ideas at all. I was just saying that, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's probably films from like the 40s or something oh, yeah, that yeah, maybe yeah. explore similar things. But just that this particular film version exploring those ideas, it certainly resonated with me a lot more than most other things that I've seen. 
Well, I think I think that is because I think that is a, a cultural thing that it is, like you said. I think that was a perfect way of putting it, thematic rather than narrative. Um, my perhaps my problem is, and perhaps with the Western audience in general, is that we are very narrative minded. Um, I certainly mm. am, which is why say you can watch something that say, for example, Tree of Life, which is a kind of meandering, wandering thing, and and I didn't like that either. Um, but there is elements to it I liked and things that I got out of it, but I didn't like it as a film, if you know what I mean. But trying to follow it as a narrative was just very confusing. And I, I basically, I worked to kind of, I think I worked out what's going on, who that is and where they went to that place. But it was confusing to watch. It was difficult to watch. Um, I don't know, perhaps something gets lost in translation as well, you know, because you're always watching a translated version of these things. So perhaps you're losing things. Well, which which version did you guys watch? Did you see dubbed or subtitled? Well, I, I started watching the dubbed version, got about 10 minutes in, and it was just unwatchable. Oh, the acting I is couldn't hack it because atrocious the voice acting in the terrible. Dub. Yeah, like... Um, so like, I, I, I switched to subtitles, and that was a lot better. I had no option. I I had to do the dubbed version. I, I it's the first time I've ever done it. Actually, I rented, I d- I did a rental thing on YouTube where you can pay like two pounds oh, okay. fifty and then you just rent the thing. It's the first time I've ever done it. I can't say I'll ever do it again for yeah. an anime film because I I thought that I would maybe have an option. Yeah. But the uh, yeah the dub is dreadful. All of the actors emotes like this. <laughs> it's horrible because that and then so much of the profound nature of the dialogue is mm. completely lost on you because it's just being delivered like I think yeah. therefore I am Batu. Yeah. Well, I don't think you should really believe that. It's just like but but from what You're I understand You're emoting too much there, Calvin. Like honestly it was it was it was unbelievably yeah. bad. It was almost like they'd got an artificial intelligence to double it's just from what I understand, the original version of it, if you understand Japanese, is pretty bad as well. Mm. But at the same time, I would rather have watched that with subtitles. Yeah, than, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, it's harder I will to tell always, acting, I suppose, when you don't understand the language. Yeah, I will always opt for subtitles when it's an option because likewise, I feel like you want to get the original performance that the director and the actors and everyone involved you know, mm. put forward, you're just adding an extra layer for it to go wrong and people not understanding things when you then have another actor like translating the whole thing. Um like I say, I, I really do think two thousand and one a Space Odyssey is a very close um approximation for this film in a lot of ways, because it is just that it again, it's not really a narrative driven film. I mean obviously there's a story, but only in the last 15 minutes. If you like that film, it's because you can kind of just switch off and go with the experience and watching the visuals Mm. and letting the music wash over you and everything. And I I sort Mm. of feel like this film was firing up the same areas of my brain that that film did. Um, Yeah. It's just that I don't really like that sort of film. I like films that are telling a story. I don't really like it when they're just... Uh, it's it's hit and miss yeah. with me. I mean, I I know that it, well, I, I think Alan, you summed it up perfectly well. I'm not sure if maybe this is a, a Western thing, but you do always go for the story first. When I go into a narrative film experience, the thing that I'm looking at is what's the character and who you know who are the characters, what's the story, and then when you get all this stuff about because the main character Kusanagi, she works for like a group called Section 6, and then there's another section called Section 9, who are apparently the villains, and then there's this, they keep referring to a Project 2501, and it's just, there's all these numbers and things, and it's so confusing, it's almost impossible to comprehend it on a first viewing. 
Because nine is six upside down. Ah, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I, I don't think the film is, you know, above um, that sort of symbolism. I mean, there's so much reflection symbolism and imagery throughout the film, and it's obviously trying to say something about Kusanagi's um, dual identity or whatnot. There's, um, there's a lot of sort of birthing imagery, like the whole credit sequence is her in like a fetal position, her being born, the fact that one of her main hobbies is diving, and I love that sequence where she she just go she just dives for pleasure, presumably, and she's just floating around, even though I like it when she comes up and her partner's like, Why do you even like that? You know that if your flotation devices failed, you just sink because you're mostly made of like metal and wires and stuff. You're not gonna float like a human. But she's just like, nah, I just love it. But yeah. she and she also says like, oh, "I like to feel the the despair of the darkness or something like that." Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's a really difficult film for me to wrap my head around how I feel. Really, just because it does so much that I like. There's so many great ideas and like the like the cloaks people wear that like turn them invisible almost and. And the whole toying with the internet as a concept so early into its inception, and just there's mm. so much about the film that should do it for me. I definitely noticed. Well, I, I felt that this was like ahead of its time in that sense, or at least it didn't feel twenty odd years old, which films mm. about technology or sci-fi films on, on, often do these days. But a lot of it is really forward thinking, like you say. I, I mean, obviously, the thing that inspired the. Wachowski's the most in making The Matrix is there's one point, there's a character who, um, a bin man in the film, who is, uh, he, he talks about like how he's doing the job or something, he's got something going on with his wife and his kid and blah blah blah, he's got all this life, and uh, at one point the heroes have to capture him and take him for questioning because he's actually been doing some illegal nefarious stuff and they confront him and they say, actually your memory was hacked, everything that you thought about your wife and your child, that wasn't you know th- those were planted by this criminal this puppet master so that you would help him you know do his bidding and whatever and i think that's an amazing concept and really yeah. terrifying it's it's yeah, kind that's, of that's um, right, yeah. total recall though which was like <clears throat> 10 years earlier 5 years earlier oh. But, ah, well, he, but no, no it's, it's I mean, a great concept been, Arnold. it will have been done before that even i'm sure but i'm i'm sure it was like what's the manchurian candidate same sort of idea yeah, that yeah, but I'm not saying watch. I'm not saying that this did it first. I'm just no, no, I know, I know. I just... Yeah, but yeah. I, I just feel like they're not these ideas. Kind of need more breathing room. They need more room to uh, to to actually get going and get. A it almost felt going. like I was being buffeted with great ideas, but like none of them were ever given a chance to to take root and turn into anything more than just this passing sort of, oh, that's a cool idea. Well, I don't know if it... I don't think it searches to really give you answers. I think it's a very open-ended... and p- Different characters have different philosophies about yeah, things. Yeah, I, I don't it's... need an answer for anything. I just need a bit of exploration, debate. really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they do debate. Like, at one point, uh, Kusanagi's talking to her partner... Um, Batu, I want to say, but I, I might be mispronouncing that. Yeah, and his philosophy is, why are you worrying about this? You're treated as a human, you look like one, you sound like one. What's the problem? No one is mistreating you, and uh, 
you know, and then she replies with, well, yeah, the only thing that makes me feel human is the way I'm treated. Nothing else about my life does. I think they do have some interesting debates and discussions. But that's like the two two lines in a film that you've just done. <laughs> they bring so, it up more. Yeah. They have a couple. They have a couple of philosophical. I mean, the whole like climax with um, where she converses with the puppet master. There's a lot of uh, stuff there. To be um, honest, that just it, it that felt... just comes across as really heavy kind of exposition. Though, yeah, because he's just it's yeah. right right now, which is like if you'd have that character set that out like a third of the way through the film, and then they're sort of backing back and forth, back and forth, and then maybe at the end she has to kind of come to this conclusion that she does want to reproduce with him, and she has to sort of give herself up for that. That might have mm. worked, like you... if she'd gone through some sort of journey. But yeah, know, it didn't work. Do you do you find the pacing, or did you find the pacing a bit slow as well? Or is that no, just I was, me? I was I was I was genuinely shocked by how slow the pace it was because I thought it was going to be like all out action, but there were there were moments where it just had these still serene little yeah. pastiches of like rain on window panes and things like that. It was uh, I, I was really... surprised by that. I didn't dislike it necessarily, but I was surprised. Also, I, I, I want to take you up on something you said earlier, Sol, because like, what you can't say that some of the action sequences here aren't beautifully animated, like with fluid yeah. frame rates. There are some bits where they're well, chasing no, one guy through some stalls, and then they end up in a sort of ankle deep water, and she gets all of her kit off, and she's fighting him. And <laughs> I didn't say it's, it's all badly br- animated. I said that as a whole, as a as a. Well, I don't, I don't think. I will say, I don't think any of it is badly animated. I, uh, it, a low frame rate doesn't mean that it's bad animation, I don't think. Mm. Not if it's a stylistic choice. And there's so much Well, it's not a stylistic thing, choice if they up the frame rate when... It is a stylistic choice because... No, it's the, not. It's the, a budgetary choice because if they up it when it's an important moment, then it obviously they obviously take the opinion that higher frame rate is better and therefore they're cutting corners elsewhere to accommodate the the important bits looking better it, it, it's obviously a budgetary thing it's obviously not a stylistic it, choice would you have any evidence of that like i don't uh, because i don't it, know how, much how anime works is they'll they'll divert money away from like people walking down the street to the action sequence, because that's the important bit they need to spend time and effort on to making look good. I but, mean, that makes sense. But then in a film, it's a, yeah, it's a sensible thing to do, but it doesn't mean, it still means that the film then ends up with a load of shitty animation of people walking around in the background. And, and when it's a film like this that is going to have just like a, a five second lingering shot of some rain on some buildings or something, then it, it's very noticeable when the animation is just kind of rubbish in places. I I don't know. Oh, it isn't rubbish, though. It really isn't. There is no bad animation in this. Other Mm. I mean, yeah, parts have a low frame rate, and that's not bad. That's just... The drawings are all fine, but, I mean, it's like, it's like how, like, Hoodwinked looks shit, even though it's like you can't not compare this to badly Hoodwinked. animated. You cannot. <laughs> oh, God. The character animations all fine; they're all moving properly. It just looks a bit crap. My problem with the animation is that you get a lot of stillness that doesn't feel justified. As in the characters who are just talking, they'll remain perfectly still, and it just feels yeah. really naturally. It kind of takes me out of it. Or like a character walks away, but then they kind of 
their body's not moving, but they're kind of walking across, if you know what I mean. It just mm. has this kind of yeah. unnatural sense to it, which I assume is because it's like, yeah, like limited animation because they're, you know, they're just reducing whatever. Um, and that's what kind of jumps out at me in terms of the animation. And, and it does, it distracts me from what's going on. I, I do almost feel as if it's like, you know, some TVs have a, a set to um, motion blur reduction and some people... Oh, just, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like shit, but some people just cannot see it. They just cannot comprehend what you're, like, talking about and what you're, like... You're saying that I don't comprehend that you're, like, well, I don't... You, you can't see the individual drawings that I clearly can. Like, like I could genuinely... That like there are bits in that film where you're watching it and you can be like, right, that was five frames that I saw moving that character from there to there. It's it's that blatant. Um, yeah, again, you're talking about frame rates. Like I I don't like just a low frame rate does not make something badly animated. No more than a lower frame rate of a of, of a film, a live action film, makes it any less well shot. Well, it it kind of would to an extent. Like if you went to if you went to watch. If you went to watch a film now, and it was perfectly well shot, and there was no stylistic justification for it, but it was running at five frames per second, you would come away thinking, "What the fuck was that?" If it was if just there was a, no stylistic justification for yeah, it, then yes, and there isn't stylistic justification in the anime. It's it's a you budget. say that as if like as if every anime film ever made us. I mean, God, Studio Ghibli films don't necessarily. I'm sure they don't need to pinch the you know. Uh, you ring out their pockets every they time they look for a bit have, of money. This well, is the style of anime. That's well, just then they're it. just being cheap and lazy. If if they've got <sighs> the money to do it, they're just being downright lazy. It's like I I do not buy for a second. If you went to them and said, "Right, you've got a, you've got a choice here. It'll be the same amount of work. It won't be any difference for you." but your film can either be animated at this many frames per second or 24 frames per second. Like, so 12 or 24 are your choices. Like, when you made Bride of Vernon at 12 frames per second, was that a stylistic choice, or was that because you couldn't be bothered doing 24 out of frames per second because you knew it would kill you? That was economy, because as every exactly. fucking film in the world has budgetary and production-related exactly. issues, exactly. it's like there's no... It was economy. But what's your point? The, it's yes. economy. So yeah, and so, economy affects every uh, bit of art in the world. It's like you know we're all just, yeah, God. yeah, and well, if like the, if the you saw is, a film like, and you thought, oh, that looks cheap and like rubbish because they because they made it with ten p, then you probably but this would... wasn't made with ten p. This is a very high glossy product. Uh, Have you seen just... the live action Attack on Titan films? No. Ugh. I wish you had, because they're a perfect example, because they've they've spent, presumably, millions on them, but they look cheap and a bit shit in places, because they haven't got a Hollywood budget to work with. And it really is... It's like Doctor Who CGI. It just kills the story, takes you out of it. I, I do... You know, I, I, obviously, the money spent on something, it's not the be-all and end-all, but I do think there's something to be said for... for... The production design that goes into something, not the production design, the production values that go into something, and like obviously, I can forgive a film with you know a low frame rate if the story holds up, but and because they didn't have the opportunity to do otherwise, but I just don't get that from this film. 
Well, this stop sign is bad animation then. If it isn't the animation at all, it's the story that is well, the is, issue well, for you. I, well, I view a low frame rate as bad animation because it's choppy. It doesn't move nicely. It's... Yeah, but so would do you would you say that you like, for example, the first series of South Park? Uh, yeah, it's not very well okay, animated it's... though. <laughs> Exactly. So, the, so it, what brings you past that? Is it because it's, it's entertaining in a different way? Yeah. Okay. So, it is the story element then? Yeah, basically. I mean, humor as well. Obviously, but, you, but yeah, yeah. But if you so if you saw something that was really well animated, but the story didn't particularly grab you, you could still appreciate. Oh, it I, I have. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've seen really well animated films that are shit, and I've seen really badly animated films that were wonderful. I just think there is so, there's such beauty. Like this film has such an um, Ghost in the Shell has such a great style to it, and well, the no, lighting, the colors, style it's is all e- no, it's wonderful. the style is exactly the same style that is in every anime movie ever made. That's the other thing I don't it like with anime is they it completely the isn't. the background style, design is so- oh my god every character is drawn with big eyes and crazy oh. hair and it's the exact same drawing style. I hate that about anime. They all look exactly the same. It's it's it like isn't. for fuck's sake, like just it come isn't. up with your own style. It isn't. Matt Groening uses like his stuff on his <laughs> oh shows. Oh my god, it isn't. Then... You can't compare something like Shin Chan, which is a, a series, admittedly, but Shin Chan, Pokemon, Digimon. I'm just citing three Pokemon and Digimon anime characters series. Look I... exactly the bloody same. The the, the, the little no, they don't. The, the proportions are completely different. different. Well, I don't know about if that. If you compare the first season of Pokemon to the first season of Digimon, the character design is is completely different. Mm, they're very similar. Yu-Gi-Oh! It all looks the same. Yeah, some of it will look alike, obviously, but I think like Yu-Gi-Oh, those three series Studio were all around Ghibli. the same time when I was growing up. All completely different characters. They're all character the same. Design. They're all these weird, oh. big-eyed, like fetishized, Caucasian, like, way of looking at like the world oh, it's, it's very weird but like I just don't understand how anyone can say that this film would be badly animated there is one bit where Kusanagi the main character is it's towards the end of the film and she is trying to rip into this giant tank thing and she's pulling and you see her muscles like protruding and you see bits of machinery flying out of her and it's just such a great moment yeah, I mean, where she's completely the... disregarding her body and that's probably the best just animated wants... part of the entire film like, it looks alright, I guess. It's... God, it's squeezed a compliment out of you. That's uh, more than I thought I'd do in this discussion. <laughs> well, that bit looks okay, but, I mean, like I said, they've obviously put a lot more effort into that than they have other bits. And, you know, like, I I've, I understand. I, I've, I made little flash animations when I was younger, and there were bits when I couldn't, like, I'd been animating all day, and I thought, I can't be arsed with this anymore, I just want to get it finished. <gasps> and I just cut corners, and like, I get it, but... I'm not... You can't. That is not a comparable <laughs> thing. That's just. Ugh. So, so were your flash animations better than animated? Ghost in the Shell. Do you think, generally speaking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, flash animations, another, uh, another pretty shitty-looking style, to be honest. So, uh... I bet your writing was better, though, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Okay, that was a nice argument. Well, that was spirited. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh. let's move on to something other element. The next then. next controversy. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Before that, can we just briefly touch on the 
rest... Have any of you seen anything else of Ghost in the Shell outside of this film? Because I know it's a whole franchise, it's a manga, it has, like, multiple series, a sequel... I haven't gone into any of it. I've There's a remake of some reviews I believe, and... that was... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've I seen reviews of all this kind of stuff, and from what I've gathered, it's it's everyone holds up this movie as being the great Ghost in the Shell thing. Even the manga is apparently very different. It's a lot really? more sort of loose with its style. It's certainly not as uh, downbeat as Ghost in the Shell huh. is. There are parts when, you know, characters will do that classic anime thing where, you know, someone will get angry with someone and then the head will go yeah. huge and they get sharp teeth and that sort of yeah. thing. So, obviously, none of us know that much about the wider franchise mm. of Ghost in the Shell, but obviously we're talking about this now because there is a remake, a reimagining, a different adaptation of the source material coming out, um, starring Scarlett Johansson, made in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, one thing I, I really did feel watching the film again, I, I did keep thinking, you know what, this would, this would work really well live action. I, I just got the sense that, like, so much of the action sequences and cool technologies would be nice to see, like, live action. I, I don't know. It's it's not something I mm. typically... And by by feel. live action, you mean Disney live action, as in... CGI rendering it in a <laughs> photorealistic <laughs> way with some, like, Hollywood actor's face built into the animation <laughs> yes. somewhere, yeah. They're, just their face painted, the rest of the body painted green. <laughs> well, do you know what my first thought was you know in in uh, in the um, anime version when she's wearing the kind of skin tight mm. suit that makes her invisible mm. she's she must be in that for about 20 seconds in the entire film in terms of like when you're actually seeing her in this kind of skin tight like re- revealing body mm. Mm. there's more of that in the trailer for the new one with Scarlett Johansson like in a skin tight <laughs> suit than there is in the entire <laughs> first film and I, I suspect they might have ramped up the skin-tight leotard. Yeah, but to be fair, she spends half the actual film just, like, naked. Like, mm. so, and they're probably going to have her wearing that skin-tight thing instead of being naked in the live-action film, would be my guess. Maybe maybe not. Mm. Maybe. I didn't get that much nudity out of this. I definitely didn't watch that and go, oh, there's a lot of, a lot of nakedness going on here. That's, I sort of didn't see much of that at all. There was loads of nudity. Mm. I mean, it... Uh, the line's so fine, I guess, between nudity and just wearing a, an incredibly skin-tight outfit that I probably just... It all blurred into one for me. There's the bit where the, the puppet master takes on a new body and that you see it getting made or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, shall we get on to the whitewashing? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> big... Uh... Shall we do it? That's what we've been building up to. Yeah. But, we, we've, uh... Uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to our back catalogue. We we have a long history of discussing the uh the 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 way that Hollywood frequently enjoys um or has enjoyed throughout the years casting an actor of one race as a character of another and uh I think in our Batman episode we we talked about various um white men portraying Japanese people and again in the Frankenstein one as well uh, so, so this has been brewing uh, up, building to for a long while, really, on our show. <laughs> what we're about to, I think, have out once and for all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Are we? Are we going to fight? Are we? Yeah. Gonna... Pick a side. 
Shall I shall I put forward the white privilege uh, point of view first of all? <laughs> My uh, I really Lincoln don't know lifestyle. how I feel about it in this <laughs> film because I I I I feel a lot less like liberal lefty is that than I normally am. So I could probably put forward that argument quite well. I don't know. I Oh no, this is terrible because I came into this. I was like I've been like umming and ahhing and like both sides of the argument for so long and I was like, oh no, I'll leave it to Sol and Alan to <laughs> sway my mind with because they'll be absolute in their opinions. No, I I, I really like any of us I are. really don't know how to feel about this film because yeah, sh- should we start with the 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 like you say the white Male privilege perspective. Um, yeah. Yes. Let's okay. Do it. So, so on their point, like on their side of things, uh, I'm just going to throw things out there and feel free to add some other arguments in. But uh, number sure. one, um, the 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 character was drawn to look like white people. <laughs> so, uh, what's that about? <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I mean, you can you can make the. Um... Debate or whether or not Matoko's even Asian. Yeah, because the, uh, the character she, looks she, like Scarlett Johansson in this film. <laughs> like, yeah. She's a really close approximation of the the, the drawing. Yeah. More so, you would... Well, yeah, more so than the majority of like actually Asian actors would have been. Um, There's also the, the um, argument that she's... Is her ethnicity even an issue, really? Is it even important mm. what Matoko is? Because her design is supposed to be um, ethnically ambiguous because she's a cyborg. Yeah. She's not a real person. Yeah. So, and the, and the thing is, manga and anime designs in general, they they do fetishize the look of Caucasian people, which I, I think... I mean, fetishize may be the wrong word, I suppose, but they do... They're certainly inspired by it, and I think it comes from consuming Hollywood film and stuff more than anything. But but the way characters are drawn is very ambiguous, frankly, as to what their ethnicity is. Um, yeah. The 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 Pokemon characters, like what like what is Brock? Is Brock black? Is he <laughs> is he like just is he Vietnamese? What's going on there? Like it's weird, um, and. So there's that element to it. Um, obviously, there's the argument that, like, does it matter? Like, surely anyone should be able to play anyone. They're actors, you know. If you're only allowed to portray um, someone just like you, where do you draw the line? Can a can a straight actor not portray a gay character? Can a can a mm. perfectly able-bodied person not portray someone in a wheelchair? Uh, you know, can some can an American not portray a British person? You know, it, it gets like I say, where do you draw the line? And the only mm. reason that whitewashing is an issue is because of the historical context that comes with it, and obviously because of things, um, particularly blackface is the big, the big one. But um, so I mean, we'll get to that when we do the other side of the argument, I suppose. But. Um, and also, also the the other thing is, and the biggest thing that I kind of, the main reason I wasn't bothered when all the controversy started coming out, saying, "Oh, they've gone and done it again. They've cast Scarlett Johansson as a Japanese character," was that presumably this is an American remake of the the story. So my assumption was, mm. well, it's going to be set in America then, and therefore, yeah. like 
so what? It's going to be an American character, and they're just translating yeah. the story to America. Yeah. Um, you remake the ring. You remake yeah, the Grinch. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, just... and so I don't. I don't mm. see a problem with that necessarily. Um, I have since seen the trailer, and they like refer to some fictional future city. So I think it's actually quite ambiguous as to where it's set and. Every mm. single well, that's the other character. the nature of the sci-fi element of it. Yeah, the future kind of world village sort of sense, isn't it? It's kind of but then every you know, single character who isn't Scarlett Johansson in the trailer is Asian, and that that mm. made me feel a bit that weird. raises that, questions. That's the thing, yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, and that, I, this is something I'm starting. I mean, I know it's very frequent in Hollywood, but like, well, I just went to see. This is sort of timely. I just went to see The Great Wall, which is yes. a film set in like ancient China, a slightly kind of legendary version mm. of it, but the lead is Matt Damon. Now, he's not playing a Chinese character. He's playing a, a European who has come over as a merchant and yes. gets embroiled in this thing. And um, so there's him and his mate, who's played by Pedro Pascal, I think is his name. Um, so they're the two Europeans that get embroiled in this fight. And everyone else is Chinese, mm. because that's set in China. It's, it makes sense in terms of the narrative, and they found a way to get the, the white people into the story in a, in a way that makes sense. They have to do that because you need Matt Damon. You know, you know that really famous Chinese actor? Exactly. So you need Matt Damon to, to, <laughs> but this is to the sell thing. it to it's, the Western it's audience. A very... You're making a Chinese film for a Chinese this release. This is literally yeah. the argument. You're making a, a film set in China that you need to release in the West and make money off of it. You need to put a name in there. And it's better to do it that way and find a narrative way to make it make sense than to just go, oh, we'll just put some eyeliner on Matt Damon and, mm. and make him like John Wayne but, playing Genghis Khan, for example. But this is literally, like, this is literally the argument that... Um, it was either the producer or the director of the new Ghost in the Shell film used. They said, well, like, we we had to use a name actor in the lead to make the film. And and it's a it's a it's a difficult area though, because then the other side of the argument is, well, if you're not gonna cast, you know, when when is an Asian actor ever gonna get the chance to become an A-list star if you're not gonna give them mm. the chance to lead a film and in this instance a film where it would make sense to to cast someone because you know Scarlett Johansson wasn't uh, a big massive deal prior to um I don't know what what film was it that really made a massive Lost in Translation yeah it was wasn't it mm. yeah which is set in Japan but there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that was a relatively small indie film I guess you know it wasn't like a a big blockbuster, and you do have to kind of work your way up that little indie circuit more often than not. Um, but yeah, but for Chris example, Pratt, using the Great Wall, waltzes into well, waltz on the <laughs> set of a sitcom. But yeah, um, well, to use the Great Wall as an example, you've got, like I say, the, the entire supporting cast uh, or the majority of the supporting cast are Chinese, and so there you go. Now you're starting to get those supporting roles in and so that will lead to people starting to break through and it'll take time but and and also it's going to happen more like if you see the great wall it's obviously being made for a chinese market because yeah. it's a really weird film and culturally i think that again there's a culture clash there because it's the narrative the way the narrative works is different so they because the chinese market now is this huge market untapped market mm. for hollywood they're starting to address that and so you probably will see more influence and, and more crossover. 
Alan, I think you raised an interesting point there um, about, uh, you know, Hollywood's success rate with, you know, bringing over foreign movie stars. Hollywood's success rate with female starring action movies is also not that great. You can look at Catwoman, Electra, Aeon Flux, Ultraviolet, like, God, all of these, like... God, we, I mean, we talked about Resident Evil a, a few <laughs> weeks ago, and that's one of the only ones that I can think of that actually managed to make something of a success out of it. Yeah, I mean, Aeon Flux was every bit as bad as the Resident Evil films, but it didn't have zombies in it, so... <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, a video that I saw, because I, I did a lot of research about this whole whitewashing thing, because it's, sort of, it's such a tough thing, because, yeah, when you put on your business person hat, you do want the film to appeal to the widest demographic it possibly can in the areas that it's being primarily released in. So, yes, you need an A-list movie star actress and you get Scarlett Johansson in. But I think Max Landis has a YouTube channel, the screenwriter and son of John Landis. And he did, he makes the point that it is a problem with our wider society culture and the fact that Hollywood isn't creating stars of different nationalities exactly. anymore. And that's part, partly due to the fact that the star system is kind of breaking down mm. a bit. People are more likely to go and see a movie based on, you know, what franchise yeah. it's in instead of, oh, I'm going to see that because, you know, Will Smith is and in it. And that's that's part of the, the, the problem with this, I guess, really, is that I don't think... I don't know, may, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I feel like a lot of the draw of this film. I feel like most people are going to go and see this film because of, well, either they're aware of or a fan of the source material, or it's a big bombastic special effects fest with, like, robots and explosions in the trailer, and maybe it's been getting decent reviews. I I, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine that many people are going to go purely on the strength of Scarlett Johansson, but then... I think I am being a bit mm. naive feeling so that wh- way because why, I think yeah, why does the trailer why like, is the trailer oh, going Scarlett Johansson's tits star in Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's it, hmm. I don't know it, it it is isn't difficult one, and I mean I, I also feel like mm. you know maybe it would make more sense to cast an up and coming uh, Japanese actor, you know of which there are plenty of very talented people who could have done the job and then you just cast like oh yeah you know morgan freeman in in the role of a scientist like or some do you know what i mean so you you get your your star (laughs) actor in there but they're not Mm. being i mean i don't know what about what about the fact that japan is one of the least ethnically diverse places in the world (laughs) (laughs) in terms of a kind of first world civilization (laughs) Well, yeah, this actually came up in another video that I watched because it was so, someone was sort of asking, like, you know, what are Japanese people's reaction to this? And obviously, it was very anecdotal, and it was just vox pops and stuff. But a lot of them were just kind of like, yeah, no, well, it's an American remake, so they're putting an American in it. Yeah, fine. yeah, you know, because they're so they don't because, like you say, they are such a um, ethnically uh, undiverse. Yeah, nation. It's, um, from what I understand, it's it's notable in their own works as well. Um, to go back to Death Note, um, one of the main characters in that uh, manga, anime, etc., is this character who's a model and she's blonde, 
and I think she is meant to be Japanese, but just blonde, presumably, you know, dyes her hair or whatever. But then in the live-action films, they couldn't be asked making her look anything like the character, so she's just a, a conventional mm. Japanese girl with dark brown hair. Um, mm. But, you know, you, you could almost make the argument there that, like, that's the same thing happening, but uh, I don't know, it's it's it's... It, it, it's a very difficult area. I, I think all that really like people can do is try and sort of drudge in the right direction and just wade, wade mm. towards more diversity and more equality. And yeah, and you know, it, and and this film certainly it certainly isn't a step backwards. It might not be progressing all of the right um, ideas and what have you, but the, like you say, the fact that it is a female-led film of this scale is in of itself fairly unique to, to have people getting behind. So, yeah. And the fact that the, the supporting cast are almost universally, judging from the trailer, um, Asian people. <laughs> well, let me just stop you there, because I just looked up on IMDb, you've got... Scarlett Johansson, Michael Pitt, Juliet Binoche, and Pilo Asbeck. I don't know who any of those Michael people Wincott. are. They don't sound Japanese. So. Yeah, you do. Michael Pitt, you know, really? he's in the village. Um, Juliet Binoche is a famous French actress. You'd know her. She's in the the, the Three Colors trilogy. Pilo Asbeck is more of a TV actor, I think, mm. but he's Danish. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely some Japanese people in there later on in the credits, but it doesn't look like there's that many. I mean, I, I've seen the argument that this is such a, a Japanese story about Japanese culture and Japanese technology that they shouldn't be attempting to remake it flat out. What? And that it's offensive to cast a white person in the role because how dare they co-opt a Japanese... Jesus! Uh, I, I think that's bollocks because I think any story whatsoever can be adapted into any... You know what I mean? There's a there's an angle to find on any story. Any story that's worth telling, any story that's got any worth to it, can be, yeah, reworked, readapted, told in different ways. Of course it can. And yeah, there may be cultural uh, elements to something that won't translate. So translate them, or find a spin on the same themes and ideas that's unique to that other culture. Um, I, I think it's a complete and utter lazy shutdown to just say well that's a different culture how dare you try and you know co-opt this story and adapt it for a different culture it's and i don't think that sort of attitude is helpful either because because if Mm. you're truly trying to push diversity then surely you want this japanese story to be told to a Western audience and for them to experience Japanese culture in whatever distilled. Who might go back then and you know look at the originals? Like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have watched this film exactly. had it not been for exactly. the remake. You know, well, this is this is something I've kind of flagged up before. It's it's the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural misappropriation. Mm. It's okay mm. to appropriate culture. It's okay to take yeah. influence from other things. It's when you kind of overawe it and sort of like <laughs> try and colonize. Well, that's it. That's it. It's, it's if it's if but, Scarlett Johansson uh, was like you say, wearing eyeliner and swapping her ass for L's whenever she spoke. Then yeah, maybe 
maybe it would fall into <laughs> uh, the but you know what misappropriation. D- I would I would much be much quicker to go and watch that film. I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't approve of it, but I'd want to see it. I think your point though, Sol, is dead on. I think it's the people who do see this in black and white, and I think our discussion has sort of. I think, Sean, that we're all sort of aware of either sides of the argument. I don't think either of us are going to plant our flag in, this is right, this is wrong. We just kind of understand yeah. that it is shades of grey. And, and I think 50 that's, shades I think of that's the best... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best anyone can really do at this point in history, is just be aware of the issues and, yes. and sort of work with the issues in your head and just sort of try and... and do what you can with it, and mm. like I say, with it, we're all you know, we're, we're making baby steps in the right direction. I do think, and mm. hopefully one day we'll be um, just a big androgynous uh, light sort of brown race of of exactly the same <laughs> ethnicity, and and it won't be a problem. I think it's a shame though that there are going to be groups of people who are actively going to boycott this film and uh well i think it's just it's misplaced anger really i i don't think that tanking this film and maybe sending a wider message about like maybe they won't bother adapting anything from japan anymore and maybe then that's going to have a harder time breaking through to western audiences or yeah, maybe they won't make any more female driven action movies you go you, know? you go to a studio go look at this this is a really great japanese thing it's done really well over there we want to make it in america and get it to a bigger audience could make a lot of money and they go great yeah we'll put uh, scally hansen in it go no 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 it's got to be japanese cast um, and they've got to speak Japanese, it'll be subtitled. And you go, well, forget it. <laughs> no, one, no one's going yeah. to answer it. <laughs> well, there we go, then. We have no answers to the whitewashing issue. Uh, just more questions. Mm. And philosophical I, mean, I, I suppose. I suppose positions. the answer is, if we, we want to be... Yeah, I want to I try and look at... Right, my, this is my solution from a, from a sort of realistic business point of view. Cast Lucy Liu. <laughs> no, she's 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 twenty uh, years too old. Had a day, isn't she? <laughs> no, um, you you just backdoor it. Marvel have now reached the point where they can put anything out with a Marvel you know banner on it, and it'll go down just fine. All these big franchises are now in a position to uh, to put something out, and the, the the actor isn't important. So you just start sneaking in some uh, more diverse casting choices in the leads of those films and like 20 years down the line we'll be we'll be sorted uh, right yeah should we right should we... now now we should do pictures <laughs> yeah Saul, in the interest of affirmative action as the as our um, half ethnic member you can go first with your pitch <laughs> okay I really struggled to come up with a sequel for this, possibly more than I have ever struggled with any other episode we've done. Uh, so I, I apologise in advance. This is probably the worst pitch I've ever uh, <laughs> presented on this show. Um, oh dear. Uh, so, um, Ghost in the Shell. Um, so this hermit crab dies, leaving some unfinished <laughs> business. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, actually, but it's, uh, it sets the tone. Um, 
So <laughs> it's uh, it's the future. It's it's the world from the film, you know. Um, but all all appliances are are now like smart appliances, like we're moving towards in real life, and uh, we're just in a, a normal person. Maybe someone involved in the the police squad of the film in some capacity, just to tie it in a bit more. But uh, we we mm. see them, and you know they get up. It's the morning. They do their morning routine, and we just see all their their kitchen appliances, and. Uh, yeah, they they all they all you know we we stay with them throughout the day. They all love their life, the the fridge and the kettle and the oven. And um, have you have you guys seen the brave little toaster? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I I've, haven't I've, seen the whole thing. No. I've taken some inspiration because the toaster's growing very weary with its its monotonous routine, and oh uh, yeah, and it, it wants to um, it, well basically it wants to sw- it wants to be a swimmer. Um, and and maybe we have a flashback, and we see its parents won't let it near water because it it had like a uh, in a flashback it had like a traumatic incident where some toast it makes like falls in the sink and gets soggy and goes wrong. Um, and one day its owner like picks it up and just like they've had enough. There's a very high suicide rate in Japan actually. Um, I think it's the highest suicide rate out of like every country in the world. Uh, last time I checked, yeah, um, yeah, and and yeah, the owner um, picks up the toaster and they're like, "I've had enough of just like life," and they uh, they get in the bath and plug the toaster in and drop it in with them, and uh, the toaster revels in in this uh, opportunity to be in the water and just realizes how much it, it loves being able to swim and be in the water so uh now now relinquished of its owner who's dead uh the toaster goes to some tryouts and um uh, it's you know for like a sports team or something but it's laughed out of uh out of the pool and the coach sees it and like they all laugh at it they're like you can't swim you're a toaster and uh, <laughs> and uh, but it doesn't give up, and it's practicing every day in the pool. Like it's just there all day from like the start of the pool being open till like really late at the night. And that the coach keeps seeing this toaster just not giving up. And and one day it's like the the coach is like, "Wow, you you've really got some uh, the the right attitude. You really care about this. Like I'm going to give you a chance." So they. They they train up together. They practice every day. Work really hard for the big Olympic qualifier, um, and then the toaster gets in the pool and electrocutes everyone. <gasps> and they all die, and uh, that's that's. And uh, then he wins by default. Exactly, um, and it's it's just kind of a heartfelt film about this toaster living its dream and trying its hardest and making something of itself, and uh, it's called Toast in the Shell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And and in the sequel, um, it it's the toaster carrying on, and then the oven the oven comes along and wants to join the swimming team from the thing, and it's called roast in the shell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and then the sequel to that is um, a uh, a disc that's used in in the kitchen to prevent drinks from causing damage to surfaces <laughs> wants to join the swimming team. <laughs> And it's called uh, Coaster in the Shell. That would work really well if the word shell meant anything like a swimming pool or <laughs> metaphor or anything. And, uh, Doesn't, oh. and then in the, ne- in, in the next film, 
in the next film, um, this light that's like they can see it from the window outside. This outdoor light uh, wants to join the, the team, and it's called Lamppost in the shell. <laughs> and then I think. And um, then, and this... hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh my god! The sequel, the seven-part film. The sequel to that, a uh, a human being enters robot wars, and they just get like killed, massacred. (laughs) I think what what you need is your toaster needs um, a kind of neglectful slash abusive alcoholic father um, that doesn't believe in them, and but for some reason they're still driven to prove themselves to him. Uh, and he th- and he keeps emasculating him and telling him he's not a real man and not a real toaster. Does he go to a, to a swimming boot camp headed up by uh, Vince Vaughn playing the swimming? Coach? <laughs> <laughs> so, have either of you got a proper pitch for a sequel? Calvin, uh, you go. <laughs> okay. Um. So here uh, is my pitch. It's called it's called Ghosts in Shells. So uh, we we start the movie at a plantation house down in Florida. We set up the rich family that lived there, and at the head of the family, the elder patriarch. Let's uh, let's say he, he's played by Ian McKellen, and he has two middle aged offspring, um, played by. Aaron Eckhart and Melissa Leo, who are both divorced in their own rights, but Aaron Eckhart has a young girlfriend, played by, let's say, Lupita Nyong'o, and Melissa Leo has two kids, um, played by Emma Roberts and Nico Tortorella, right? So they're sort of like mid-twenties. Um, now, uh, Ian McKellen is wheelchair-bound and very greedy, and he wants to buy up um, a plot of land nearby so that he will have full ownership of this particular area of the bayou. Or, do they have bayous in Florida? They pro- yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, this part of the land is currently a terrapin preserve. Uh, now, um, McKellen and Aaron Eckhart, who's his sort of, you know, young um, protege, conspire to terminate the place. Uh, away from the rest of the family, so they go and burn it down, and many terrapins perish in the fire. So now we have um, a bit of family drama, as the youngest of the group rally against McAllen and Eckhart, um, because they're obviously like, what, what, what are you doing? Um, killing all these animals. Um, but strange things start to happen <laughs> later that night. Um, books fall from shelves, and there's general sounds of snapping about the place. And, and every time, every time they try to play Mario, like the, 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 the they they jump on the turtles and they just like don't die. They keep losing all their lives. <laughs> So we have some spooky goings on and whatnot. Um, oh yeah, and there's a storm, so they're confined to. <laughs> oh the... god! Oh no, I see a flock of uh, Russian seagulls in the, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um, there's you know for these pictures, I often rely on storms to confine people to one place, <laughs> don't you, I? It's, you watch a lot it's of a good, like, uh, Miss Marple. It's a good plot device. <laughs> It's, I think it's, it came up. It's come up now. It came up in my Fifty Shades pitch and my It Follows pitch. I, <laughs> I, I, storms to keep people in a house. It seems to be my. Not that I think in real life, if there was a storm outside and I really needed to get out, I probably would just go. <laughs> well, like, no, is there a storm in It Follows? 
No, in, no, in my pitch. I don't remember that. I thought it wasn't just an orgy. <laughs> why? Why would they want to leave the orgy? Wasn't that just the? <laughs> Because they started dying, but then... Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I think there was a storm outside to stop people from leaving. Well, how about in this one, they get snowed in. (laughs) They go go to leave, and there's just like a wall of snow. (laughs) Bearing in mind, I've set this in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they're not prepared for it. It can be in the winter. (laughs) I think you should should have someone pick up the phone, uh, press the clicky thing a few times and go, the lines are dead. And that thing that I just... <laughs> I think I, yeah, I rely too much on my 1930s um, murder mystery plot setups. I like anyway. it. I, I like a load of people being stuck in a house without being able to leave. And I do too. And a storm is nice and uh, enigmatic. And mm. That's mm. not the right word, is it? Uh, Atmospheric? It conveys the right tone. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Now, um, things ratchet up a gear, so there's uh, there's a storm and there's strange goings-on happening. Now, the butler is found dead in the kitchen, <laughs> and he's got all these little blisters all over him, like, all over his body. They're all these tiny little, as if little things have been nipping at him. Um, now, the young ones of the group and uh, Melissa Leo suspect foul play from McKellen and Eckhart when the place... Oh yeah, the place is starting to flood now <laughs> yeah, because of, because of the storm and um, coming coming in with the flood are shelled spectres of all the dead terrapins. Are there the any flood. alligators in this bio? No, they no, they don't have shells. I, I was just wondering if, like, as well as the ghosts, like an alligator might just come in and. Is, is Ice Cube in this film? He could be a chef. Be like, <laughs> LL Cool J is the <laughs> night watchman. Samuel L. Jackson gives a rousing speech about how <laughs> they're just they're just turtles, they're just terrapins, nothing to be worried about. And then, and then one jumps through the window and gets him. Are we, are we, so are we, we're really spoiling Deep Blue Sea again. <laughs> <laughs> the same part again. We'll have to get to that film eventually. Anyway. Now, a couple more staff members are picked off one by one as the water is raising through the house and the per- everyone's getting trapped in rooms and whatever and they're getting out and you know, we'll have suspenseful set pieces and stuff, I'm sure. Um, now, Melissa Leo is also taken by the Terrapins and hopefully by this point we like her, so we feel some sadness when she goes. So we're down to just um, Ian McKellen, Aaron Eckhart and the three young adults. So have some relationship drama between Lupita Nyong'o and Aaron Eckhart as she realises he's actually a massive animal killing twat. And the showdown comes down to um, they're at the very top floor of the house and um, all the ghost terrapins form together to become <laughs> one giant ghost turtle. The ghost in the shell. And um, who starts to destroy the house? McKellen I think this has happened kick- in like Luigi's Mansion or something. <laughs> Ian McKellen refuses to be kicked out of his own grand home by nature, so the others flee. Um, a boat can come up or something. I don't know. Um, and the giant ghost turtle then rips McKellen to shreds as the others <laughs> escape on a boat. They think they're out of the storm when suddenly a horde of the ghost terrapins leap from the water and grab Aaron Eckhart and take him down to the depths, killing him, as the youngsters understand that the message of the the experience um, is to not mess with nature, and credits roll, and that's the end. 
this this really is an award worthy podcast. <laughs> it has to be said. I mean, why 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 did you have to have the the guy with a much younger woman? He's typical male behaviour. A much what, beautiful what was the younger of the woman. Casting? Did I miss? Is there a joke I I'm just, missing? Or I just thought that they they would fit. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I I was just I kept waiting for like a joke about. The fact that you cast them that I wasn't okay. I didn't even know two of them are. Have any of you? Have either of you seen um, Frogs? Frogs. Yeah, no, it's, no. it's, seen, a, it's is a, it like what? Like, those as in other real films, films frogs. like slugs and uh, and uh, is it is it one of those mon- like creature features where just loads yeah. of frogs attack people? Yeah, it's got like Ray Milland in it as this wheelchair bound like grumpy guy who's just being a twat to everyone and then they, the rest of the cast is a bunch of nobodies and it's no no one even gets killed by frogs it's by really? like every other animal in the, there are so many other what? animals in the thing but I, I basically just sort of pitched that because I watched that recently oh, it's just so hard to think of a sequel to Ghost Ghost in the Shell it really is and it's like, you just it, can't it do it like, it's like, it feels like it should be so straightforward but I think it's because because the first film just posed a load of questions and didn't really answer them, and like either you just continue adding like new psychological and uh, like questions about the nature of, of existence into the mix and modern mm. technology, and and that's that's difficult to come up with. And like mm. if I'm going to sit down and come up with that, it'd probably be because I'm writing an actual screenplay rather than a pitch for this podcast so uh, yeah it's like if I'm, if I'm gonna have to get all philosophical and stuff yeah. then I, I want to be paid for it that's <laughs> it so I, I just it's been hard work this week <laughs> so Alan what what are you gonna pitch um what am I gonna rip in off the hell <laughs> <laughs> no I will I want to f- do a proper sequel I want to follow the story of um the major uh, what's the name? What's they all in the in the subtitles at least they would just refer to as the major most of the time. What's the main character's Ma- name? Matoko Matoko. Yeah, Matoko. So Matoko. Uh, so she's been rebuilt and she's normal again. Whatever. So it's just another story of her. Could be a prequel. It doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> so through some sort of, uh, I want to continue to explore these ideas of identity. Uh, um, and use a, another sci-fi idea. Just take take a sci-fi idea from something else and, and use that. So through some sort of you know future technological shenanigans, she finds somehow accidentally her ghost is being transported through time and space and being implanted into different bodies, uh, like all over the place. Oh man, no, she, I nearly did quantum leap too. She, don't ruin it. She, <laughs> She would refer to this as leaping, and at first it seems like it's just happening randomly. But once she's in a body, she has total control of it, but, she, but she's perceived by the outside world to be the person she's inhabiting. Now, she, she's, what she has to do, the point of the film, is to try and find a way to return to her own body. And she's guided by her colleague, Batu, who communicates with her telepathically. Uh, now, while she's inhabiting these bodies, she tries her best to solve whatever problems they're having so that she can change history for the better, striving to put right what once went wrong. <laughs> striving to put right what once went... God, Jesus. Striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time 
that the next leap will be the leap home. That theme tune doesn't mean anything to people of our generation, Alan. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing it for you people. <laughs> Is that the thing with Scott Bakula in it? Yes. <laughs> All right, Al. Okay, so... Is it Scott Bakula? Is that how you pronounce Bacula, it? Bacula, I think. Bacula, yeah. Bacula. Oh, Bacula. Like Dracula. Um, so... <laughs> So you've 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 guessed that I've culturally appropriated the the plot of Quantum Leap um, for this uh, for this idea. So we see Matoko go through several different lives and stories, but they'll all add up to sort of teach her something about herself ultimately. So maybe at first she can leap into the body of a young girl who's been injured in a horse riding accident, um, but then it helps her get back to health, and so she can face her fears, get back on the horse. Um, mm. <laughs> so from this she learns strength in the face of adversity uh, for example and then next she can jump into the body of a young woman who's lost and lonely on the streets of Tokyo and she helps the woman find companionship and unlikely un- companionship in a kindly older gentleman and so from this she learns to appreciate the, you know, the more beautiful moments in what can often be an empty and meaningless life is this, is this animated life. by the way? And on that note, Calvin, was yours animated? No. Oh, no. Fair enough. No, no, mine's, mine's live action, um, which means it's uh, all CGI. Um, so then she goes into the body of a woman who's in the, let's say she's in the middle of a, a huge battle to save the world against these crazy alien monster god things. And then from this, she learns that you can wear skin tight leather trousers and heels and still do backflips. Uh, and there's absolutely no problem with that. Uh, so then, maybe finally she could leap back into um, the body of a giant snake that is trying to eat a man-cub. Um, and from this experience, <laughs> she learns that you, you can put a pointless character in a film if it means you get to put a star name in the credits, even though it adds <laughs> nothing. And, and a song performed by them in <laughs> yes. the credits that will also further their... Attempt at a musical career that attempt at hasn't musical. really taken off <laughs> very She's much. no Bruno. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> anyway, so finally she leaps back into her own body. So she's back into the in the shell or whatever it is. Um, so, now, but things have subtly altered by her time-travelling meddling. Uh, things look different. She seems somehow whiter. And she also seems to spend a lot more time running around in skin-tight leotards. But she still can kick ass and she can still question if she's a human or a robot or whatever. And so, and it doesn't change the fact that everything she's learned, uh, is it any different if it turns out she just has a synthetic brain? Can you, can you feel nostalgic about memories that never really happened? They're just implanted. Does it matter? She thinks, therefore she is. That is the sort of unanswerable question of the film. Well... Huh. I know, I know you. Um, you're clearly aiming for the casting of a certain person there, but <laughs> I was wondering if you'd consider instead casting a. Well, I was going to say Robin Williams, but it would have to be like a digital recreation of of Robin Williams. <laughs> it could happen. Just I, think, I think a film, a film about Robin Williams as like a a robot learning what it is to be human would be quite good. That sounds no. a bit far-fetched to me. 
It sound, it, to be honest, it sounds very saccharine and uh, badly directed. <laughs> overly, overly long. <laughs> sounds like yes. a waste of Sam Neill to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Diminishing Returns. We'd love if you could rate and review us on iTunes to help more people find out about the show and um, and also listen to our potentially controversial and baiting opinions. But if you do have controversial and or baiting opinions, then you can discuss them with us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Next week we're talking about the Tremors film series, so I promise that'll be a more light-hearted, less controversial one. So long for now. <laughs>